Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Well, good morning, and welcome to the first Wisdom of the Soul class of this brand new year, 2023. I uh, am really happy you've joined us live. And for those of you who are listening via podcast or to the YouTube channel, the video on the YouTube channel, thank you for joining us as well. I want to mention, uh, well, first of all, Happy New Year. (laughs) We were chatting here a few minutes before we started the recorder that uh, Christmas seems like two months ago. It was just two weeks ago. But uh, it is a new year, so here we go, January 8th today. I uh, want to mention at the top, before we do our opening meditation, that everything you need to know about this free Zoom class every Sunday morning, 11 o'clock Pacific time. And my private work, first one's free, free intro session for my private one-on-one work. We do that by Skype or phone or Zoom. Zoom seems to be the most popular. You can access that and schedule that. And all my other information, I've got a half a dozen websites, but they all come together at michaelbenner.com. And um, you can use Google, of course, or just go to michaelbenner.com. On the splash page, there's a red circle where you can access my online calendar and actually schedule yourself from what's available on the calendar to do a private session. The intro is free, and you're under no obligation to go any further. And uh, then how to get to the podcast page. and. Uh, From there, if you wish, the YouTube page, the show notes, the archive of the newsletter, a choice of several different podcast players, all of it's there. I think the podcast is handy when you're on the road, and um, YouTube is sort of a hassle on the telephone. There's nothing really but a talking head anyway, so the podcasts are fun. However, the podcast does not have the meditation. I edit out the meditation and the Q&A. So to get it all, either come here live or uh, go to the YouTube. And the page to access, it's also at michaelbenner.com. It just says Zoom class. You can also go to wisdomofthesoul.school. No .com, no .org, just wisdomofthesoul.school. And you see a little video in the bio and the uh, a little form where you can leave your email address, and then you get the newsletter. All right, having said that, today we're going to talk about SIDAs. S-I-D-D-H-I, SIDA, or SIDAs, plural, are, uh, well, I guess psychic phenomena, or 
so-called paranormal, parapsychology. It's a Sanskrit word because meditators in the East noticed thousands of years ago that as they began a meditation practice, that they would get what they thought were magical powers. Precognition, for example. They knew what was going to happen. Or they had a, a, an insight, or a, I'd call it a hit, <laughs> sort of a contemporary way of referring to a, uh, a little realization, a precognitive sense that something was going to happen, and then it did. Or, you know, a sense of clairvoyance or telepathy or any of these so-called psychic phenomena or ESP. So in the East, they're called siddhas, and understood that they are a natural phenomena as a result of beginning a meditation practice. So some of you may be experiencing an enhanced intuition as a result of just coming to the class and doing the meditation. And so I thought we'd talk about that today, particularly the mental healing in the context of manifestation and refinement, the so-called secret, which was a big splash, uh, a book and a movie about, uh, what, 30 years ago maybe now, and the Esther Hicks material and all of that as if it was some brand new secret when the idea of thoughts being things and thoughts manifesting as reality is as old as time itself. Um, it used to be called magic, sometimes spelled with a C and a K, M-A-G-I-C-K, real magic, occult magic. And uh, the fundamentalists in most religions think of it as somehow satanic or evil. But it's uh, a natural function of the mind when you begin a meditation practice and develop the wiring, so to speak. And so I think the practical benefits are worth noting, the problem-solving that we get from being more intuitive, uh, the insight, the understanding, and again, the healing that we can do. I want to emphasize the healing today. That's a real thing, spiritual healing. Most of us are not very good at it. And so the impact can vary, and I'll explain all of that. So it's not to suggest there's no such things as viruses and bacteria and mutagens and carcinogens and genetic proclivities and predispositions. It doesn't eliminate all of that and say everything's in your mind. You just got to, it's all psychosomatic. I'm not saying that at all. But uh, we can manage pain. They say uh, pain is mandatory. The suffering is optional. And we can accelerate healing. And we'll talk about that today. So with that, I see a few more people who are still coming in. Let's settle in. Make sure your microphones are muted. Close your eyes. Get nice and comfortable. Begin by taking a few slow, deep breaths. In three, eyes open, wide awake, back in the room, eyes open. Take a big breath. 
maybe stretch, shake a little bit, like waking up. For indeed, that's what you're doing. Maybe another breath. <sighs> feeling better than before. Feeling much better than before. Eyes open, wide awake. Feeling better than before. Good. Now, isn't that fun? <laughs> it takes practice, though. The mind does not want to do that. The mind wants to be busy, busy, busy. A lot of it's survival. All of the fear and anxiety and stress comes from this idea that somebody's out to get you. And uh, it's just not true. Even the idea that, oh my, what will they think? They're not thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. And uh, no, they don't remember if you wore that same shirt last week. <laughs> Let's talk about ESP. Psychic phenomena, so-called paranormal, parapsychology, clairvoyance, which today is called remote viewing, telepathy, precognition, and uh, healing, I want to emphasize. This is a huge field, and I, in 30 minutes, obviously, I'm not going to be able to uh, say everything there is to be said about it, but... Uh, the place to begin to talk about all of this is the most important point of all, which is the plasticity of the world. Much is being written of late about the plasticity of the brain. And this is the result of research over many years, decades even, around the ability of the human brain and, and animal brains too, but to a lesser degree, to adapt itself, to rewire itself. If an ability is lost, for example, uh, maybe a part of the brain is damaged. Uh, maybe it's a, a motor skill, for example, in the area of the brain that's in charge of coordinating physical movement is damaged. With training and with practice, the brain will rewire itself and you can learn to unconsciously, in a sense, it becomes unconscious. That's what practice is, right? Making the conscious unconscious. Another part of the brain will pick up the responsibility and uh, you can learn to move again, learn to walk again, learn to speak again improve your memory and such. Well, the whole world is plastic in this way. The idea that thoughts create reality, or I think even better said, which we presented almost a year ago at the beginning of this class, energy follows thought. Now, consciousness or awareness is energy. And to say that it follows thought, if we were to be more precise, it actually begins with intention. You begin to direct the creative, the literally creative power of the mind when you form an intention. And then comes the thought as an energy, and then the emotional expectation, faith, drive, motivation. That's the emotional force 
You know, may the force be with you, the force, Luke, the force. That's the love aspect. That's the emotion. That's what drives the energy of thinking. So the thoughts like, uh, well, if you know Ohm's Law, the thoughts like the amperage and the emotion, the faith, the belief is like the uh, voltage. It's the force. The energy is the thought, the ideation, but the emotion. Oh, boy, I can do that. I can have that. Or that'll never happen. It works in the negative, too. Oh, I can't have that. Okay, fine. You reap what you sow. But ideally, the intention forms the thought, which is driven forward by the feeling into a particular action. That's the order of that. And then the universe conforms to some degree, depending upon how focused your thought is and how cohesive and organized your sense of self and your relationship to the universe. So in the mystery schools of old, there were always levels or, or scales, uh, ladders of evolution that allow us to become better and better like anything else and more and more skilled at manifesting that which we wish to manifest. Now, people are often disappointed when they ask me about this so-called secret of manifestation because I always hasten to add, and I feel strongly about this, that using these spiritual powers for material goods is a misuse. And I don't think it's black magic unless you're cursing or wishing ill or attempting to use your mind power to, um, to hurt or disable or, or block somebody's welfare or pray that they have an injury or they suffer in some way. That would be black magic. To wish for more than you need, to try to find power, false sense of power, the real power is love, and understanding that there's only one of us here. And loving your enemy is recognizing your enemy is you, and you are them. And uh, Patrick was saying just before class today that when he does his meditation practice, he's more likely to experience somebody who otherwise would frighten him and put him off as from more of a point of compassion where you see their fear imagine seeing recognizing their fear instead of being limited to wow what a jerk you know glad i'm not him you know you look at the enemy and say well they're terrified am i contributing to that is there anything i can do to make them less afraid that's loving your enemy, but it includes recognizing that you and he or she are one. You see the divinity, not only in yourself, but in everyone and everything. And who was it 20 years ago? Mr. T said, pity the fool. <laughs> I think that's who that goes to. Pity the fool. But it's tragic. And most importantly, we need to see that in ourselves. So we can have an influence when we just send love and kindness silently. You don't have to 
you know, walk up to them and say anything, just emotionally. Some guy cuts you off in traffic, send them some love and some kindness. And some part of you says, well, that's stupid. It's not going to do anything. How's, how is another person going to benefit from you wishing them well? As you come to understand the universe metaphysically, you'll understand that it does make a difference. Not only in their lives, but more importantly, don't you see, in your own. Even if they reject the suggestion psychically that they could be kinder and softer, it changes you when you project peace and kindness to other individuals and to the world in general, that the entire universe be at peace, at ease, safe and relaxed. Do it for yourself. Love others that you might receive that love. You see? So the universe is a mirror of your intentions, your thoughtful, heartfelt intentions such that all happiness and all sadness is not in the events or the circumstances or happenings of the world, but in your mind, for it's your mind through sense and sensation that perceives that world. And in case you hadn't noticed, everybody sees it a little differently. Right? We can go to the same movie together, sit side by side throughout the full movie, walk out of the theater and disagree on a dozen different points about the movie we just saw it together. It's the nature of personal reality. I mean, you'd be redundant otherwise. Each of us is unique so that the one life can know its many qualities. Even, even snowflakes are not, <laughs> are not repeated. Grains of sand. There is no redundancy in the universe, like a jigsaw puzzle. Every piece is unique in shape, in the information it carries, and yet essential to the whole. Even one piece is missing. You throw the game away. Right? Sometimes we feel so insignificant. Look up into stars at night. You're not insignificant. You are essential for your perspective, for what you care about, for what matters. So you reap what you sow, the golden rule, treat others as you'd have them treat you, karma. It's all the same thing. It's what you're seeing in the world is you. It's a little complicated to say man's mind is a mirror of a universe that mirrors man's mind. That's worthy of some reflection, no pun intended. Yeah, I did intend the pun. It merits some thought. So what we see in the world reflects us, and then the mind reflects that reflection in terms of the way we behave and respond because we're convinced that we're victims of a life happening to us unaware that we're creating that life in the first place. 
don't you see? Now, how do you prove that? Well, you can do this manifestation and um, beyond just uh, give us this day our daily bread, which is not just bread or food, but that's a reference to everything that we need to survive. Give us everything we need. The relationships, the career opportunities, the, uh, the situations, that's daily bread, everything. Give us our bread is, is give us everything that we need to survive. And beyond that, if you want to use the law of attraction, so-called for expensive sports cars and big mansions and fancy clothes and jewelry, that's, as I was saying earlier, I think that's gray magic. White magic is to use it to heal yourself and others. And that could be a physical healing, it could be an emotional healing, it could be circumstance and happenstance that they enjoy good fortune, peace and abundance in their lives. But does it is there any reason for it to be more than they need? Store your riches in heaven and not on earth, where moth and rust do not corrupt and thieves do not break through in the night. What's the point? of uh, gaining the world and losing your soul. So the primary use, I would suggest, of this psychic power of suggestion, this ESP, psychic phenomena, all of this work, which you will begin to notice as you continue to meditate, you're going to get more intuitive, is to heal yourself and others. I'm going to do a class probably next week as I think about it. And then the week after that, the next two classes are going to be aligned in a curious way. I want to do a class on the Sermon on the Mount. I'll do that next week. It's a part of Christianity that many Christians overlook. I think because it's difficult to understand. And the truly fundamentalist Christians tend to go primarily to the Old Testament anyway. But the Sermon on the Mount is the metaphysical Christ. The Christ that had no interest in theology. Christ was not a Christian. He was a rabbi. He was a Jew. And he didn't care much for the rituals and the ceremonies of Judaism. He was not impressed by that. He was a mystic. He was teaching people, do as I do, follow me, imitate me. There's a great book from the Middle Ages called The Imitation of the Christ. Imitate me, live like me, give away all your stuff and follow me. <laughs> well, we're not going to give away all of our stuff. and. Uh, walk barefoot out into the desert. But think of it as an analogy or an allegory for, for balancing our desire for materialist pleasures and contentment with a desire to be a virtuous, wise, and, and, and loving individual, being of service to others. My God, we all know that's where the reward is. 
just do a little thing for another person and you you get so stoked it ought to be obvious to us that that's what's important. Christ was a metaphysician, for God's sakes. What is metaphysics? Metaphysics is a school of philosophy that is about the most fundamental aspect of being. Energy, substance, purpose, meaning, being, our relationship with each other, our relationship with the universe, our relationship with consciousness. That's the heart and soul of metaphysics. What is this light that illumines and animates us? This consciousness. The one thing you cannot get behind. Oh, this is an effect of this cause, but that cause is an effect of this cause. And that cause is an effect of this cause. Let's daisy chain our way back. Effect, cause, effect, cause, effect, cause. Until you get to awareness and you can't get behind it. What caused awareness? To understand love in the spiritual sense, capital L, love, as much more than some warm, fuzzy affinity, you have to realize that love is consciousness, it's awareness. And among the powers of that spiritual love is the ability to manifest. For your dreams to come true, to realize life is a dream, I haven't talked about this because it's been a while, but uh, actually it wasn't that long ago. I think it was early in December. I had one of these um, sleep paralysis episodes where I was waking up in the morning and I was aware, almost like a lucid dream, of my desire to throw back the covers and get out of bed. But obviously, I wasn't fully awake because I could not move. I wonder how many of you, maybe when we go to Q&A, some of you guys can tell me if you've ever had an experience of sleep paralysis, because it can be quite terrifying. Sometimes it's a common sleep disorder. Sometimes it's accompanied by a fear or a dread that there are uh, evil spirits in the room or UFOs or there's even one not uncommon form called the old hag syndrome, where there's like a witch sitting on your chest. You can read the literature and Google this stuff around sleep disorders. It's quite fascinating. Night terrors, and in this case, simply sleep paralysis. And I freaked out. I thought, well, I've just got to try harder. <laughs> you know, you're just not trying hard enough. And I could not move, and I felt paralyzed from the neck down. I mean, I couldn't move my head. I couldn't move anything. And I was trying to yell for help, but I couldn't speak. And I'm sure if someone was in the room looking at me, I would just appear to be sound asleep. But in my mind, in a very lucid way, I'm fighting to get out of bed, just to move, to regain my ability to move. And finally, I 
it went away or I broke out of it. I'm not sure how I did it. I know how to do it now, and I'm going to tell you in a minute if it ever happens to you what to do. But my point is, I I bruised my ribs. Took six weeks to heal. I mean, I, I don't think I bruised the ribs per se, but the connective tissue and the muscles around it. I strained that. Uh, just as if I had broken ribs, it, it was difficult. I couldn't roll over in bed after that. and uh, I had to walk carefully for weeks. I hurt myself. <laughs> I hurt myself trying to get out of this sleep paralysis. So I did a long Google search a few weeks ago. And uh turns out that if this ever happens to you, and tell yourself as I explain this to you, that this will be easy for you to remember. Just tell yourself this will be easy to remember. If it ever happens to you, when it happens to you, make a face like you're smelling something horrible, like you're smelling a skunk. Just wince and squeeze your face as if, ooh, that's just horrible. And that'll trigger either an awakening or you'll fall back to sleep. And nobody seems to know why. Some people say if you wiggle your toes, but it's like the Chinese finger lock. The harder you pull, you know that finger lock where you put, put your fingers in, the, in that straw thing, and then the harder you pull, the more impossible it is to get out. It's like that inverse effect or that reverse effect. The harder you try, the more paralyzed you will be, as is the case with so many things in life. So you have to go the other way. You have to let go and not try. Trust which is not easy if you feel paralyzed. But if you just wiggle your toes, or I found success, because it happened again a few weeks later, just making a horrible face. And I fell back to sleep immediately as soon as I did that. Others say they wake up. If you can avoid sleeping on your back, it seems to only happen when people are sleeping on their back. You sleep on either side or on your tummy. It doesn't happen for some reason. Nobody really knows. Life is a dream. My point in talking about Sermon on the Mount next week is that Christ did not come to bring you a religion, but to teach you to be a mystic and to experience for yourself the direct knowledge and the union of your experience with the source of all, the love. You surf that wave of love to a sense of union via harmony. First harmony, then union. Diversity and separation leads to harmony, leads to union, right? Just like the pendulum. It's still a fixed point at the top. Two weeks from today, I'm going to follow that with the Noble Eightfold Path of Buddhism. And it's curious, there are eight admonitions in the Sermon on the Mount and eight steps in the Noble Eightfold Path, which is the fourth noble truth. There are four noble truths in Buddhism. We'll touch on those. There is suffering. The suffering is a result of your desire nature, your need for things to be other than they are. The third noble truth is there is a way out. And the fourth noble truth is the way out, <laughs> the Noble Eightfold Path. It's quite different than the Sermon on the Mount, but it overlaps in some amazing ways. And uh, 
when I said in our last class at Christmas that, to my mind, Christ was a Buddhist, these two overlap. You can Google Christian Buddhist society, and you'll find it exists, and then there's a Buddhist Christian society that exists also. I guess the two can't get along, but there's not that much difference. And then there's Taoism and Sikhism and Jainism and Neoplatonism and the Sufi tradition of Islam and and the Rosicrucians and, and the Kabbalah and the Zohar. Every religious tradition has a mystical tradition hidden within it that really rejects ceremony and, and, and ritual. And that's why these psychic powers are not taught by religion, because they'd be teaching you then to be an independent a pilgrim, a, a, a searcher. And I guess down through the ages, the church provided a valuable service, a, a kind of a grade school introduction to spiritual principles. But as we have evolved, as we have learned to read and write, as we've been educated in university and quite sophisticated by and large, we're better able to do this for ourselves and avoid the rigid dogma and, and ritual and ceremony that we find so confining and, and which does not answer our questions. I think that's the problem that many of us have with uh, religion as we've been exposed to it. Not to mention the idolatry of the graven image of God as a man on the cloud. There's a, uh, I forget which Greco-Roman philosopher goes back a couple of thousand years, one of those Greeks or Romans said, it's in my book, Fearless Intelligence, one of them said, if horses had gods, surely they would look like horses. So we're in the image of that which is divine. That doesn't mean you get to turn around and make God in your image. It's blasphemous. And creates a separation, don't you see? The creator now is out there, way far away, accessible only by a prayer of petition. God, do this for me. God, if you can see your way clear, would you, uh, would you fix this for me? Rather than creating an alignment or a path of least resistance, to stand open and receptive to that guidance and that insight. Creator does not live outside of creation. Is not an author in his book or her book. Even if it's fiction, they put themselves in the book. What else have they got to draw upon? Is not a painter in every painting that he or she paints? A sculptor in every sculpture that they make, of course. How could the creator not be in its creation? And in you, and in everyone, and in the tree, and the rock, and the river, and the sky, and every corpuscle, and every cell in your being and every atom, and every nucleus, everything in the one, and the one in everything, something religion just can't seem, organized religion can't seem 
or or maybe better said, is not willing to discuss. Christ is a metaphysician. If you look at the miracles that he performed, they're psychic. And if you have an issue because of your upbringing about doing healing as if it's some sort of a cult thing, witchy or satanic, then say in the name of Christ. Christ is a title. It's a level of consciousness. It's not the last name of Jesus. It's a when you bless somebody, you're 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 blessing Christ consciousness. Uh, so-called grace be available to them, that level of awareness. So sometimes you'll hear people, religious or spiritually oriented people, say Christ Jesus instead of Jesus Christ or Jesus the Christ. So we all seek to be Christed. That's also the Buddha nature. And it's within. Christ said, these things I do, you can do and more. So let's get her done, right? How do you heal? You close your eyes, you relax, you visualize the individual in your mind's eye. All you really need is a name and a location. And you breathe and relax and hold yourself open and receptive. And even if you have no idea what their health concern is, it'll occur to you. And as you visualize any problem, any issue, reverse it in your mind and return healing energy simply by seeing the area fixed, healed, with your frames of reference, however it occurs to you. Like if you see tissue swollen and red, then imagine almost like a time-lapse movie. Whatever occurs to you, returning to normal, swelling goes down, redness fades until you get perfect health. You can do this with pain in yourself and others. You can do this with accelerated healing in yourself and others. Look, you're not going to do any harm. Your intention is good. So... There's nothing to lose here. You don't have to worry about anything. And I think you'll find that it makes a difference. There is such a thing as taking on symptoms, but that's rarely a problem. Some people get confused about this, and if they get too ego-centered, if the ego tries to take credit for the healing, like, look what I'm doing for you, and you trip on this, uh, hey, I'm a healer, I'm, I'm a medical intuitive, uh, everything is psychosomatic, There's, it's all in your head, and I'm going to clear your chakras, and wow, that could, that, could be, <laughs> that could be a problem. And you could actually end up taking on the symptom, but it's just a symptom, it is, in that case, it would be psychosomatic. But again, as long as, as long as your intention is good and you don't let the ego take credit, you're just a channel, you're just a, a medium through which this energy comes not from you so much as through you. In fact, your entire life 
comes through you, not from you, and and at you only as a uh, response to that downward and outward, that L-shaped alignment of spirit moving into form, downward and outward, out into form. So there's a lot more to be said about remote viewing and clairvoyance and telepathy and problem solving and developing your intuition. But I wanted to focus on the healing and the pain control that goes with it. I think I've mentioned before in this class that uh, when I began to use pain control at the dentist, the dentist was impressed, but not as much by the pain control is by the healing, the accelerated healing that he saw uh, a week later when we came back for more work. He was he was gobsmacked. He said, I've never seen anybody heal that fast. And this is like 40 years ago, and I put that together. I said, well, that makes perfect sense because the technique that I would use to mitigate the pain so I could have dental work without Novocaine or anesthesia is exactly the same technique that I would use if I wanted to accelerate the healing, the natural and normal healing. See, it's not supernatural. It's just an acceleration or amplification of the natural process that goes on anyway. That's the miracle that you heal at all. <laughs> I mean, come on. What a, what, a, what a far out thing that you could break a bone and it mends or, you know, cut yourself and, and it heals. That's scar tissue comes over it's just and, and some things don't heal but most things do and so it is with mental healing or spiritual healing or laying out of hands or reiki or explore this stuff but keep your mind and your heart open it's real and there's plenty of hard empirical statistical research to prove that it's real and the, and the MRI is watching people's brains while they do it. <laughs> <laughs>